Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. I am so excited to be here with you all uh, on the second week of Advent. Uh, For those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with Advent, uh, Advent is a a season of time in which we are waiting with hope and expectation uh, for the birth of our King Jesus. Uh, But it's also a time in which we are looking forward uh, with hope to the birth of a new world. Uh, a time in which Jesus will return and uh, God's kingdom will fully arrive on earth as it is in heaven. And so in preparation for the celebration of Christmas, I want us to uh, read the Christmas story. I want us to read about the story of Jesus' birth. So we're going to be in Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands and an usher will come down the aisle and bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please keep that Bible. We love you and that is our gift to you. So as you're turning to Luke 2, I'll just tell you that my hope for today is that we're able to look at this very familiar story from some unfamiliar angles. Uh, And I pray that our hearts are uh, once again captured by the miraculous nature of this story. So Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Here we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So this is the story that we all know and love. This is the story that many of us have been taught uh, since we were small children. And even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard or read the story multiple times. And if you're anything like me, you have heard or read the story at least 30 times. And as a result, it has lost some of its uh, impact because it's become so familiar. I remember last year um, during the Christmas Eve services thinking and marveling at how Ken is able to write a new sermon on the same story every single year, right? Because we, we know the story. We know all the details. There are no more surprises. The miraculous nature of the story is often hidden behind the uh, familiar, behind tradition. And so what I want us to do is I want us to recapture the the miracle of the Christmas story. And the miracle is this, that the birth of Jesus Christ reveals that God became human. This is known as the incarnation. Uh, This is what John 1 is all about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word took on flesh. In the person of Jesus Christ, God was born into our world. The entirety of the Christian faith hinges on this miracle. And again, I know, this is still all familiar to you, right? There's nothing new. We've been singing about this miracle for the past couple of weeks, right? But what I want us to do is I want us to pause for just a moment and really think about the implications of the incarnation. Because in every other major religion, their God or gods are primarily known by their power. Uh, In the Christmas story, the miracle of the incarnation is that God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the love that moves the sun and the stars, comes to us in diapers. 
right? Our all-powerful God comes to us in the form of the most vulnerable, helpless, defenseless creature we can imagine, an infant. Now, I don't know how often you interact with babies, uh, but even if you've never had a baby, you've at least seen one before, right? You are aware that babies exist. So it shouldn't come as a shock to you when I tell you that babies are not powerful. Uh, in fact, they are super weak, and they are helpless, and they're vulnerable, and they have no discernible skills. They don't have motor skills, right? Uh, they have no survival instincts. They contribute nothing to society. And I've learned all this firsthand as I now have a nine-month-old baby girl, Juliet. And uh, I remember before she was born, um, you know, we read all these books, uh, we went to all these classes, we got advice from many people as we could, but I was still not prepared uh, for the level of anxiety and worry that comes when you have a baby, right? When Juliet was born, after I was done weeping uncontrollably, uh, I was floored by the reality of just how helpless this little baby really is. Like, she couldn't do anything on her own. The only thing that she could do was to cry, uh, to try to let me know, hey, please continue keeping me alive, right? But even when she cried, you were never entirely sure what she was crying about. It was probably because she was hungry or she needed a diaper change, but maybe not. Maybe it's because she had a headache, or maybe she had an itch that she couldn't scratch, or maybe she was just annoyed and she wanted to be left alone for five minutes, right? You never knew. You were always guessing. And even when babies get older and they do start developing motor skills, it's like they're actively looking for ways to hurt themselves, right? Uh, Juliet, we could, we could set her on the floor and we could surround her uh, with toys that experts spent years designing to appeal to babies exactly her age, and she'll still ignore all of them and try to reach for the scissors on the coffee table. That's what she wants, right? Or I could try to feed her dozens of delicious and healthy foods, and she'll reject all of them. You know, it does look delicious, though. Those AA batteries over there, right? And she'll start reaching. It's like, what are you doing? Why? I'm just trying to keep you alive. Why are you working against me? It's because that's the nature of babies, right? They're helpless, they're vulnerable, and they're constantly courting pain and death. And that is the nature uh, that our almighty God assumes in the Christmas story. Except the story of Jesus' birth is far more different, much more perilous than the story of my daughter's birth. When you read the actual birth narrative, uh, as we did just a few minutes ago, there, there's not a whole lot of details there, right? It's all facts, no fluff. Uh, but what we, from what we can gather, we know that Mary and Joseph were heading to Bethlehem to register with the government. And on the way, they tried to stop at an inn to stay the night, but the inn was too full, so they end up staying in the inn stable, where she ends up going to labor, and she gives birth to Jesus, and they wrap him in swaddling clothes, and they place him in a manger, and those are all the things we know. That's, that's all that we know about the actual uh, birth story, and that's not a whole lot to go on. Right? So what we typically do is that we fill in the gaps um, so we can imagine, imagine the story more fully, and we fill in the gaps with nativity scenes, scenes like the ones that are going to appear on the screen. Right? Look, at, look at how wonderful everything is. Look at how nice everything is. Everyone's, everyone's happy and, and smiling. Uh, and the animals are smiling. Look, Jesus is glowing in this one, right? <laughs> it's weird. The guy at the bottom's sad because he realized he bought a nightlight off the registry. That gift is useless. He's going to have to return it, right? Uh, but you can see, like, everyone's so happy and, and smiling, and it's cute and quaint and all these different things, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong 
with uh, nativity scenes like this, and there's nothing wrong with the tradition of putting them out. My family does it every single year. However, it's important to know that those scenes are not exactly accurate. Right? Uh, they, they don't tell the full story. For instance, if you look at this picture of me and Kathleen and Juliet, that's just minutes after she was born, right? And yeah, we look tired, but overall we look really happy, right? It's a really happy picture. What that picture doesn't tell you is that Juliet showed up two weeks early, and we were not prepared at all to have a baby that day. The picture also doesn't tell you uh, that Kathleen was in labor for 17 hours right before this, two hours of which were so painful that she literally couldn't speak. Right? It also doesn't tell you, uh, doesn't show you the actual birth process. Thank goodness, that would be gross, right? <laughs> There's a reason people don't post, post birth uh, videos on Facebook, because that would be weird. Um, but you get it, the picture doesn't tell the full story, right? Uh, and the same is true of these nativity scenes. Uh, and if that is the only image that we have in our minds when we read the Christmas story, then it robs our imagination and it prevents us from knowing the length that God went to in order to save us. And so what I want to do is I want us to imagine for just a moment um, how the night that Jesus was born, how that most likely played out, all right? Uh, so the first thing we need to know is that uh, Mary and Joseph were most likely teenagers. We know that they were engaged, and in first century Jewish culture, most girls were engaged by the age of 13, which is crazy, uh, and then most guys were engaged by the age of 16, right? And so we don't know their actual age, but it's safe to assume that they were probably very young, like way younger than how I typically imagine them when I read the story. And we know that they had just traveled a long way and they arrive at this inn exhausted and that the inn is too full. So they make the decision to stay in the stable. And this was a desperate decision because people don't normally sleep in stables. That wasn't a normal thing to do. We can imagine that she was probably feeling that this little boy was coming, right? She was probably having strong contractions and it was either have the baby in the stable or have the baby out in public, which would have been far worse, especially in that culture. So they make the desperate decision to stay the night in the stable. And here's the thing that you need to know about the stable. Most uh, early church tradition and historians agree that the stable would have looked more like a cave. Like it's, it's not the nice wooden structure that we imagine that we see in the nativity scenes. It would have been more uh, like a cave. And if the inn was completely full, then that also leads us to believe that this cave would have also been completely full of animals. Not just like two goats and a cow and a, and a sheep, right? Uh, like we see in the nativity scenes. No, it would have been completely full of animals. So we have two desperate, exhausted teenagers uh, who are squeezing their way past all these animals, trying not to step on their droppings so they can find an unoccupied corner of this dark, unventilated cave. And not only are Mary and Joseph staying the night in this dark, gross cave, but Mary is preparing to give birth. Birth. Like, uh, imagine with me for just a moment what the birth process is like. Uh, we won't get into too many details, but uh, just imagine. Now, I myself have never given birth, um, but my wife has, and she tells me that it is incredibly painful. Uh, and then we also know that it is quite uh, messy, uh, and then we also know that at times it can be terrifying, right? Uh, 
watching my wife give birth to Juliet was one of those intense and wonderful, miraculous moments of my life. But even with the fancy machines that let us hear Juliet's heartbeat constantly, and even with the pain medicine that helped relieve Kathleen's pain, and even with the antibiotics that helped uh, keep infections away, and even with all the excellent nurses and doctors who literally deliver babies every single day, there were still moments when I was absolutely terrified. And I wasn't even the one giving birth, right? I was just mostly in the way. Now, imagine taking away the nurses and the doctors and the pain medication and the antibiotics and the fancy machines and the electricity and the light and the bed and the sterile environment, and instead, you are alone in the dark in a cave surrounded by animals. Those were the conditions of Jesus' birth. That is how God chose to enter into our world. And after Jesus was born, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they placed him in a manger. And a manger is an animal trough where they eat and drink. I'm sure Joseph like dumped it out first, but that's where Jesus spent his first night on earth. And so for me, and then well, right after that, Mary and Joseph had the task of keeping this little baby alive, right? And so for me, when I think about this familiar story and I really stop and, and consider how it most likely played out, not only does the story become miraculous again, but it becomes incredibly difficult to comprehend, right? You can see why the story would have been shocking to the original audience. Like, you're telling me that the eternal God was born in these conditions. That's what you're telling me. It's a hard thing to fathom. It's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. It's hard to fathom that the God of the universe was completely dependent on Mary and Joseph for his survival. It's hard to imagine Jesus, who was and is and always will be, having to grow up and learn and develop and mature. Right? That, like, that, those things are all so human. God doesn't need to do any of those things. He's God. God doesn't need to learn how to crawl or walk or run or speak or read or write. God is all-knowing. God would never have to worry about scraping his elbow when he's playing around with other kids. God would never have to need his parents to read him a bedtime story at night in order to fall asleep. God would never have to battle a sinus headache because his allergies are flaring up. Right? God is all-powerful. And these ideas, they just seem so impossible when you really stop to think about them. In fact, it's almost uncomfortable, like borderline blasphemous, to talk about God in such human terms. And that is the scandal of the Christmas story. That is the miracle of the incarnation. Because, of course, God could have avoided all of the human struggles, right? He could have avoided heartache and headaches and anxiety and confusion if he wanted to, right? He's God. But Jesus, while being fully divine, willingly chose his full humanity. He was fully divine and fully human. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says it like this. Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So God took on flesh and purposefully was born into unimaginable poverty. And then he willingly served those, not like, like uh, rich people or powerful people or royalty or anything like that. He served the people that the rest of the world had cast out. 
And then he willfully embraced torture and death. And none of that was an accident. It was all on purpose. Why? Why would God willingly subject himself to humanity and to poverty and to servanthood and torture and death? Because of you. Because of all of you. Because of me. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says it like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The Christmas story is the miracle of unimaginable grace. The Christmas story is the story of God's love for you and for me. And please, please believe me when I tell you that God had you in mind when he was writing this story. No matter what darkness you have inside you, whatever sin that you're struggling with, no matter the the doubt or the fear uh, or the hatred or the feelings of unworthiness, Jesus came here for you. And I know that can be hard to believe. Like for me, it's, it's hard to imagine that Jesus, holy, perfect, and blameless, would enter into my darkness and my depravity and my sin and not be overwhelmed by it. Not be like, whoa, I wasn't expecting all this. I'm gonna go, right? It's funny because it's, it's hard for us to imagine Jesus sneezing because he's divine, he's all-powerful. But at the same time, it's hard for us to imagine um, Jesus' love being stronger than our darkness and our sin. But that's literally the whole point of the Christmas story that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Your darkness and your sin cannot overcome his love for you. Jesus came here, Jesus shared in our humanity so that we could share in his divine life. For your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. And this is not talking about money. This is not talking about stuff. This is talking about fullness of life. We can experience fullness of life, eternal life right now. You just have to decide that I'm done living in darkness. I'm done being controlled by fear. I'm done allowing sin to make choices for me. I'm tired of feeling lost. Jesus, enter into my brokenness. Enter into my sin. Let your light shine in my darkness just like it did 2,000 years ago when you came into this world. Salvation, grace, healing, all those things are offered to you freely. You just have to accept it. Welcome him in. Invite him in. Invite his light to shine in your life, to push out the darkness and sin that binds you. And for those of us who have this light, for those those of us who have welcomed Jesus in, during this Advent season, we are preparing to celebrate the moment when the creator of the universe entered into our darkness and offered us hope. And as the church as the body of Christ, as the hands and feet of Jesus, we are called to go out and do the same. We are called to go out into the darkest corners of this world and shine our light. Right? Uh, and remember that Advent is not just about waiting for the moment, waiting for Jesus to be born so we can celebrate that, right? Advent is also about looking forward to the hope that is to come. We are waiting for Jesus to return so that heaven can fully arrive on earth. And this is not a passive waiting. This is an active waiting. We are 
Christ's body on earth, all of us. We are infused with his Holy Spirit, and we are the carriers of hope in this fallen world, and if we are not bringing that hope into the darkness of this world, then what are we doing? Like, there's a reason why we've really been pushing you guys to invite people, to reach out to people, to bring them in. It's because we believe we have a hope that the whole world needs. In fact, we believe that we are the embodiment of that hope. And all the Christmas signs that we are giving you guys and and the pay it forward cards and things like that, those are just tools to help you go announce this good news, to go spread this hope, right? Because there's people in your community who don't know the hope of the Christmas story. Or they believe the Christmas story about as much as they believe the story of Santa Claus. Or even worse, they believe that the Christmas story has nothing to do with them. That the story is not for them. They've been called heathens and heretics. They've had Christians build walls around them. They feel like they don't belong amongst the pious and the righteous. Right? I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who don't follow Jesus because they were rejected by the church. And those are some of the saddest stories I know because the church is supposed to be carriers of the most hopeful, joyful story in the world. A story that belongs to everyone. Right? A story that is just as much for them as it is for us. In fact, there should be no them and us. We are all God's children. I remember when I was working at Best Buy, uh, it was actually Christmas Eve and the store was crazy packed and I was working the registers and I heard this man yell at a coworker next to me. Uh, he yelled, it's Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, young lady. It's real condescending and loud enough to where everyone in the vicinity stopped what they were doing and looked over. Right? And then he stormed off, leaving my coworker on the verge of tears. And I remember being furious. Like, how does that help show her the hope of Christmas? How is that going to bring her into the body of Christ? Also, how can you weaponize Christmas? How can you use Christmas to draw lines in the sand? That's crazy. So you need to ask yourself, all of us need to ask ourselves, when I encounter someone who's not a Christian, or when I encounter someone who maybe is even against my faith, do I see them as an enemy? Do I see them as someone I needed to correct? As someone I need to be suspicious of, to watch out for? Do I see them as a them? Or do I see them as someone that I need to uh, go pursue, make friends with? Someone I need to go love and serve? Here's the thing. God doesn't need you to protect him. He doesn't need you to defend his reputation. What he does need is for you to go out and love people with the love of Christ. That's what he needs. So ask yourself, who is it that I interact with on a day-to-day basis that does not know the love of Jesus? And how am I showing them that love? Not telling them, showing them. How am I erasing the lines between us and them? Go bring that hope into your community, into your family, into your workplace. We are the body of Christ on earth. We are carriers of this hope. Please, 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 whatever you do, don't leave that hope in your chair when you exit this service. Go bring that hope to them. Go into their darkness and be the light of Jesus and then pray that the Holy Spirit can work through you to introduce them to the true story of Christmas. That the word became flesh. That God was born and dwelt among us. That this miraculous story of the incarnation is the real life, true story of God's love for you and for me.
Let's pray. Father, again, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by this story. I'm overwhelmed um, by the lengths that you would go to save us. That though you are divine, you would willingly embrace our humanity, our struggles. Not only that, but you made yourself low. You made yourself a servant. You served those that the rest of the world didn't even consider worth living. And then you embraced torture and death all for us so that we could share in life with you. And I'm so thankful for that truth. And right now, Father, as we prepare to worship, I pray that your Holy Spirit just fills this room with your presence. I pray that you just burn the truth of your love into our hearts today as we prepare to sing out about our love for you, about how much we adore you. Father, we love you and it's in your name we pray, amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Postscript. I'm Dan Slagle, the Karen Bridging Pastor here at FaithBridge, and today I'm with Adam McIntyre, who brought us a great message on the incarnation of Christ, a very appropriate topic for this time of the year. Thank you. Yeah. Good job, Adam. Appreciated <laughs> that, that message. So, um, for 21st century ears, mm -hmm. the conditions that you described of Jesus' birth are abhorrent, of course. Right. Who wants to be born in a cave? Uh, who wants to be born with farm animals all around, uh, who wants to be born in dire poverty, uh, under suspicion of, you know, giving birth out of wedlock, all, all right. of these terrible things. Um, let's take it back to first century reader. Okay. Luke uh, is addressing his contemporaries, who are, many of whom are probably Jewish, but probably many of whom are not. Sure. Um, how is this going to strike them? Right. Uh, I'm sure not in exactly the same way that it hits us, but how would they have read it? And why do you think Luke was careful to include these various details surrounding Jesus' birth when uh, the other gospel writers aren't quite so detailed? Sure. Uh, well, I think uh, first we have to look at what the original audience was expecting uh, when they um, heard about the arrival of the Messiah. Uh, you know, for they've been waiting for a really long time uh, for this Messiah to show up, and they were expecting uh, someone who would be royalty mm -hmm. and who would be mighty and powerful, and they were expecting someone who could uh, defeat their actual like human enemies, like the um, like Rome. Right and um, and someone who could lead them to become the mighty nation of Israel that they'd always dreamed about um, since the covenant. Right, right. and uh, instead um, they uh, Jesus shows up and he's born uh, with and nobody notices. Right, he's born alone in a cave. Sure, um, and he's born in uh, these dire conditions. He's born in poverty, um, and and then he. Uh, becomes a servant, and he, ba he basically he's the opposite of every type of power that we could imagine, um, and every kind of power that the original audience imagined. He was nothing. He looked nothing like what they were expecting. And same thing for an audience even that wasn't Jewish. Again, I said anyone. When you imagine a god, you think of power, right? Sure. You think of someone who's mighty and who uh, you serve, and, and kind of 
uh, you know, lords their authority over you, that kind of thing. Right. And Jesus came and did the opposite. Uh, he didn't lord power over anyone. In fact, he served uh, everyone. He served the people that the rest of the world had cast out. And so even for someone who didn't have the Jewish expectations of the Messiah, mm-hmm. Jesus was still uh, not at all what they looked like. Not to mention that even the, the Jewish audience, when they heard about this Messiah, they weren't ex- actually expecting God, okay. right? They were uh, expecting someone who God would send that would defeat all their enemies and lead them to the, the final promised land, right? But they, nobody anticipated actu- like God in the flesh showing up on earth mm-hmm. in these dire circumstances. So that especially was... Um, uh, again, hard to fathom. Uh, then, just as much as it is now, it's uh, it's hard for us to imagine God Himself was roaming the earth, dwelling among us. Right? It's just right. a hard thing to to think about. Yeah. So, um, startling as those things may have been, what was the purpose of Jesus' mode of entry into the world? Why did He come that way instead of the way? Uh, the world expected him to. Sure. Uh, So again, as I mentioned, uh, when God in the flesh showed up in the person of Jesus, he was the opposite of what everyone was expecting. Uh, And his power didn't look anything like uh, the power that we imagined because his power was his love. Okay. Um, That's his primary power. He has this overwhelming love. And so the way that he expressed that love to creation um, was by actually showing up here in the flesh, coming into this dark world. He didn't have to, right? Um, he has existed for eternity in the Holy Trinity. And mm-hmm. uh, he came here um, because he loves us. And he came here to share in our struggles, mm-hmm. um, to share in our weaknesses, um, so he could uh, empathize with us. Um, like when we, um, when we struggle, when we come, across, come upon hard times, um, that's not something that uh, God is not aware, like God himself has experienced that, right? right. And not so he, removed exactly, from the situation. Exactly. Yeah. He actually can empathize with it because he's experienced it himself. Okay. Um, and so all of this was a display um, of God's incredible love mm-hmm. for his creation. That was the reason he came. That's the reason why um, he intentionally um, emptied himself right, and made himself into a servant. And that was the reason why he willingly embraced uh, torture and death. Remember, he didn't have to do that either. Just before, uh, like as he was being arrested, he said, I can have legions of angels here, could destroy everyone, no problem, I'd be done. But he didn't, he willingly embraced all those things. Again, because all of this is a demonstration of his perfect love for us. Um, And so as Christians, we are to look at that demonstration um, and uh, again, part of the Christmas story is that we are to then model ourselves after it, mm-hmm. um, right? That's what I mentioned in the sermon, that we are uh, to look at the love of Christ, how he entered into our darkness and sin, and we are to go out and do the same. Um, and that's, you know, um, in Romans 8, uh, all creation is described as uh, as like being in labor, right? right. All creation is uh, groaning with uh, the labors of childbirth or of birth. Um, and so you can imagine that the world right now is just pregnant with hope. And it's the job of Christians to kind of be midwives for that hope okay. uh, because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And okay. so we are to go and carry out that hope into the world um, and go into any dark areas that we find in order to be, be a light. Okay. Shine light of Jesus. So uh, would it be fair to say that uh, Jesus... Um, entry into the world and the way in which he came into the world 
was not only to achieve a particular purpose, i.e. the salvation of humanity, right. but it was also revelatory. It, it right. revealed something to us about the nature of God, who God is. That's exactly right. Okay. Right. In the person Jesus, uh, we can see clearly who God is. Um, Jesus perfectly reveals uh, God's nature, as you mentioned, and his nature is love. Uh, that's a God is love. That's <laughs> all love is, flows out of him. He's the source of it, and Jesus reveals that. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. And as Christians observing that, mm -hmm. it's not simply uh, a notion to be pleased with or right. amazed about, but it's something that is to shape and form our character. That's right and uh, give us opportunity to move into the world as well. That's right, yeah, that love is, uh, it should be transformative, right? We don't hoard that love to ourselves. Right. Um, we go out and we bring it uh, to the rest of the world because that love is for everyone. Good, um, good. Yeah. Well, thanks, man, I appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. It's been uh, good to have you with us today. Hope we'll see you again on the next edition of Postscript. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.